Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. We're going to the book of 1 John. We're starting in chapter 3 today. We finished chapter 2. I want to remind you again, as I do every week, because um, every week there's new people at church. And so maybe somebody was gone last week, maybe somebody has gone two weeks ago, and I want to make sure we all understand and we're all on the same page about what it is we're talking about. Can you take this so I don't kick it over? That's okay. Um, What we're talking about and why we're talking about it. John is writing a letter to these believers who were initially expecting the Lord to come back right away. And the Lord hasn't returned back, and it's been 90, 100-ish years since Jesus ascended into heaven. So these people are in a place where they are getting tired and weary, where they are doing the motions, they're going through the motions, but the passion that they first had for the Lord is waning a little bit, and false teachers are creeping in, bringing false doctrine, and this is who John is writing to. And I want to remind you, I I reminded the first service of this, but I want to remind you as well that the goal of John's writing is he is writing to people who in their weariness, in their tiredness, in going through the motions that have gotten a little slow of hearing with the Spirit of God. They've got a little slow in responding to what God is wanting to do. They've, lo- they've lost a little bit of their passion and their desire for following Jesus. And John, in his grandfatherly way, because at this time John is an old guy, And he's writing to all these people, and he's writing from like a grandfather's heart where he has a deep care and a deep appreciation and a deep love for these people. And so he's encouraging them the way that really only a grandpa can do. Who's ever had their grandpa come and encourage them? Kind of like telling them they're doing something wrong, but in such a sweet, nice way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Two people? Two people? (laughs) Did you say they're all tired? What? Well, if you're going to talk to me, make sure I can hear you. <laughs> oh, so he's writing. This is, this is who he's writing to. This is how he's writing the letter. And what his encouragement is, is for them to, to return back to their first love, to return back to their passion for Jesus, his church, and his kingdom. He's wanting them to open their ears back up and live a life where they go through their everyday lives where they are aware of the Lord in their lives, where they are looking for the Lord in their lives, where they're not just going through life where they get up, they get ready to go to work, they get ready to go to school, they go to work and they go to school and they put in their time and they come home and they mow the lawn, they make dinner, they take out the trash and they go to bed and they get up in the morning and they repeat it. But in all of that, what he's looking for is people who have an ear and an eye turned towards the Lord and so that everywhere they go, everywhere they find themselves that they are aware that they are, as we were talking about last week, they are children of God. And as you would know, any good child, any good father is always present in some way, whether it's through phone calls or text or being around in the home. 
He wants them to remember that the Lord is always there with them. So as they go through their life, they are talking to him. They are listening to him. They are looking for him. They are listening for his leadings, not just going through the motions. And I want to tell you today that so much of the book of 1 John reminds me of the church here and now. And I feel the Spirit of God is wanting to say to us, change some of our patterns, change some of our habits, change some of our mindsets, and instead of just going through your life, being whatever about life, and I just got to make it through the day, life is difficult and it's hard, and these kids are wearing me out, and my spouse won't shut up, I never have a minute to myself, I just want to be alone, but you're going through life with your eye and your ear inclined towards the Lord, so you're listening for his promptings and his voice in everything you're doing. He is not satisfied. Well, I want to say it to you this way. The Lord doesn't want to be an absentee father to you. And many of us, many of us push him away. And we're absentee children. It's not a phrase we use, but many of us remove the Lord from our life where he is still our father. We still call us children of God, but we have removed him from our life. We have removed his voice from our life and are doing life on our own. And the Lord so very desperately wants to be in relationship. He wants to be able to come into your home and speak to you. He wants to be able to come into your marriage and speak to you. He wants to sit in your car while you're driving to work and school, and he wants to talk to you. Do not allow him, do not cause him to be an absentee father. Many times you will see in life where kids run away and go to school to get away from family. Right, we've all seen like, maybe that never happened in any of our lives. But other people, we've seen this happen to. And the kids say, I got to go to school because I got to get away from my parents because I'm tired of my parents telling me what to do all the time. He doesn't want us to run away from him. He wants us to take him with us everywhere he goes, everywhere we go. So in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, it starts off. Last week, we were talking about the heading was living as children of God. And right off the bat, in verse number one of chapter three, it says, see how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. He calls us his children, and that's what we are. I want to remind you today, what is so powerful and what is so great about this verse of scripture is we were just singing at the end of the last service a song that says, I am a child of God. Right, And we sing that song a lot. And you may call yourself a child of God. And you may talk about being a child of God. And that is a very true statement. And you are a child of God. But what is so much more powerful and greater is the fact that the Lord calls you his child. When he looks at you, he says, you are my child. Rich, you are my child. It's not Rich just saying, that's my dad. It's, it's the Heavenly Father saying, this is my child. Listen, we know that he 
he said that Jesus was his beloved son. This is my son. I am well pleased in him. He says that about each and every one of us as well. You are God's child. Somebody needs to understand this. And maybe you've lived a life where you don't understand fathership. You don't understand relationship. You don't understand family. But the Lord wants you to know that he loves you, that he cares for you. And even though maybe your earthly family is a mess, maybe you don't have a real dad of your own. You could say, this is my dad. He wants to remind you today that he calls you his child. What is so powerful, what is so powerful about him calling, calling you his child is all that goes along with that. When you are part of a family, you are part of all that family is and all that family has and all that family does. All that family operates in, where that family goes, you are part of that. So when he calls you his child, he is saying, you are a partaker of all that I have, of my life, of my wholeness, of my goodness. Because you are my child, you are entitled to all these things that I am and that I have. Don't take lightly the Lord calling you his child. Don't say, I've, listen, pastor, I have heard that a thousand times. I think many times we have heard things a thousand times, but we have not grasped the depth of the simplest statements. See how much, see how great the Father's love is for us. He calls us his children. John goes on and says, that's exactly what we are. He says, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we already, we already, uh, we are, sorry, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Now listen, he's talking about living a lifestyle as children of God. And last week, he, he, there was two things in chapter 2, 28, 29. He says there's two markers. If you're a child of God, you will remain in constant fellowship with him and that you're going to do what's right. And then he goes on, his next thought is, God loves you so much that he calls you his kids. And then he says, when he comes back, we don't know what we're going to look like, but we know that he is coming back, and we're going to see him as he really is. And we're so looking forward, and we're so eager for this return that we're going to do something. And what is it that we're going to do? In our, in our eager anticipation and excitement, in our desire to see the Lord and his return, in our desire to be part of that family of the kingdom of God and to be one of God's children, we're going to do something. And he says right here, he says this, all who have this eager expectation of Christ reappearing, he says, we're going to do something. We're going to keep ourselves pure just as he is pure. The Passion Translation reads it this way. It says, and all who focus their hope on him. Do you focus your hope on Jesus? <laughs> I sure hope you focus your hope on Jesus because 
in case you're on the fence, let me tell you here and now, everything else in the world at some point in some way will let you down. But your hope in Jesus Christ will never fail. And it says, all who put their focus on him, put your focus on him. Dear ones, put your focus on him. Put your hope on him. Look to him. He will never let you down. He'll never leave you flat. He'll never take off and leave you behind and leave you in the dust wondering what you're supposed to do or where you're supposed to go or where your father went. He's right there waiting on you. Put your focus, put your hope in him. And it says, all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. This eager expectation, the desire for the Lord's return, the desire to see the Lord when he returns and be part of his family will cause us to live a life, as he says right here, where we will be purifying ourselves, where we will always be purifying ourselves. And listen, the responsibility isn't on me to cause you to live a pure life. The responsibility isn't on your parents, isn't on your spouse, isn't on your grandparents, isn't on your children, isn't on the government, isn't on your boss. The responsibility for you to live a life where you are purifying yourself and walking holy and walking righteously rests squarely on you. If you look at the wording here, John is talking. He says, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. That means that you are removing yourself from situations, that you are removing yourself from conversations, that you are removing things from the front of your eyes, that you are removing things from out of your body that should not be in it. You are keeping yourself pure. And it rests squarely on your shoulders. At the end of the day, you can't come blame me for the stuff that's in your life. My job is to talk to you about what the Word of God says and open this book and create opportunities where we can hear the Word of God and help you and guide you and shepherd you. And when I look into your life and I see stuff that isn't lining up with the Word of God, my job is to come along and say, hmm, you might want to look at this passage of Scripture and see if this lines up with this. But at the end of the day, it all rests with you. This is fun, isn't it? I wish we were having pumpkin pie after the service because then we could have pumpkin pie again. And you'd all be excited about pumpkin pie. All who, keep this eager, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. Everybody say everyone. And say all. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, and all sin is contrary to the law of God. Listen, I want to remind you this morning. Uh, we do this thing in humanity where we have maybe some sins in our life, but we try to explain them away. We try to rationalize them. We try and tell ourselves this isn't actually as bad as that person, Sid. This sin isn't as bad as that sin. I don't know where this idea came up, but we have in our minds 
And if we were all going to be honest, we have this sliding scale of sin. And some sins are over here on the, it's not the worst thing in the world. And over here, this is, this is terrible and you really shouldn't do this. And we all judge things in our lives. Well, it's really not that bad. It's not the worst lie. It's not the worst habit that I have. It's not that bad. But that, that thought in my life isn't that bad. It's okay. Like, I, I'm not going to think about it all the time, but I might think about it. I'm, I might like, you know, just a little bit. I might have this in my life. I just might smoke this just a little bit. I might put this in my body just a little bit. We have this scale, and what John is saying right here is that all sin, and sin is literally missing the mark. And where do we find our target? Right here. This is our target. This tells us what the target is. This tells us what is right and wrong. And so when we miss the target, when we miss what the Bible says, when we don't do what the Bible says, we miss the mark or we sin. And it says all sin. Say all sin is contrary to the law of God. All sin. So it doesn't matter. Listen, you can justify, you can rationalize, you can say the Lord knows my heart. He knows my heart. He knows why I have this in my life. He knows that I need to have this habit. He knows that I need to, he knows what happens at home. He knows this is just a stress relief for me. This is, I can't sleep without this. I can't do this without this. I need this because of this, that, or the other. And you rationalize it. And listen, It's all sin to the Lord. None of it is acceptable to him. You may try and find a way to make it acceptable, but what the Lord says is that all sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Doesn't matter what you think it is. Doesn't matter if you think you can justify it. Doesn't matter if you think you've got a good enough reason for it. The Lord says sin is sin. And why does it matter so much? Here's why. Because sin separates you from the presence of God. God's not after trying to get you to have, like, no, I just don't want you to have fun in your life. I just don't want you to enjoy some stuff. I don't want you to do those things. A lot of the stuff that God says don't do is because sin, the biggest thing sin does is it brings separation between you and him. He can't dwell. He can't live where there is sin. So if there's sin in your life, the Lord cannot be there because you have chosen to allow something else in your heart and in your life greater than him. And if you allow wickedness, if you allow evilness, if you allow sin into your life, the Lord says, I can't be here. And he says to you, get this out, get this out, get this out. I want to come in and into your life. I want to work in your life. I want to be involved in your life. But I need you to remove this stuff. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. He says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know, you know, you know, you know this, that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Then he says in verse 6, anybody who continues to live in him will not sin. If you find your life in Christ, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you say that I am a child of God, you are living in him. That's what it's talked about. When it says, when when you're saying you're a child of God, what you're really saying is I live in God. My life is found in him. When we're baptized, when we're water baptized, what we're really saying is I have been crucified. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ living in me. So you're saying I live in him. And he says right here, if you live in him, anyone who continues to live in him, him being God, will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning, two things happen. Number one, it says that that person doesn't know him or they don't understand who he is. If you keep sinning in your life, and listen, I want to be clear about this. 
We all know, listen, you're going to go through the rest of your life and you're going to miss the mark over and over and over again. You're going you're gonna to mess up. You're going to do things you shouldn't do. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to think things you shouldn't think. The key is, is that when you do those things, you come back and ask the Lord to forgive you. Now, what he's talking about here, when he talks about continuing to sin or walking your sin or living in sin, what he's talking about is people that have sin in their lives that A, a either know that it's sin or that the Lord has pointed it out to them and they just continue to turn a blind eye to it. And they're continuing to choose sin over the Lord. Does that make sense? So he's talking about these people, and he says, anybody who keeps on sinning, so anybody who keeps walking a life where they are walking in sin, where they are choosing to walk in sin, where they're not saying, when God points it out in their heart and their life, they say, nah, it's not that bad. They rationalize it, they justify it, and they continue to walk in it. This is who he's talking about right here. Anybody who keeps on sinning doesn't know him, or they don't understand who God really is. Because if they knew who God was, or if they understood who God was, they would not continue to walk in sin, because there is no sin we just read in him. You see that? Okay. So going on here, it says, Dear children, don't let anybody deceive you at this. When people do what's right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people, again, keep on sinning, again, choosing to walk in sin, even though when it's been revealed to them that it is sin, they're saying, I'm going to continue to walk in this. He said, when people keep on sinning, it shows, and this is hurtful, it's hard, it shows those people belong to the devil. That's fun, isn't it? It shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. I want to remind you, sin comes from the devil. Sin comes from the enemy. God doesn't cause you to sin. God doesn't bring sin to you and say, here, here's a test. Choose right or wrong. God doesn't do those things. Sin is from the enemy. And so it says here that if they keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Then it says this powerful, powerful verse, but the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I want to read this word destroy to you so you understand how great he actually obliterated the sin and the power of it in your life. That word destroy is the Greek word luo, and it means to loosen, to break up, destroy, dissolve. I love the word dissolve. Melt or put off. When it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, this is what he did to the work of the enemy. He came in and he said, no, that's not going to work for me. I don't like that. I'm going to destroy the works. I'm going to melt that thing. I'm going to dissolve that thing. That chain that has been hanging around your neck for all these years, the blood that I shed on the cross dissolves that thing off of you. If you step into me, if you give me your life, if you become a child of God, the, the work that I did is going to dissolve that thing. It's going to melt that thing. It's going to obliterate that thing. It's going to destroy that thing. The, the, the works of Satan, you need to hear this, are not stronger than the power of the blood on the cross. So it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. There is nothing, there is nothing that the enemy can bring to you that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. The work that he did on the cross settled it once and for all. And it says this, 
Those who have been born into God's family don't make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. Those who have been born into God's family don't make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. I love this. I want to read it one more time, and I want you just to really listen. Don't look at the screen. Take the words off the screen. Maybe close your eyes and listen as I read this one more time. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. I want to tell you about this word life. It's going to change your life. If you listen, and I I want to tell you right now, open your ears and get ready for this. Because if you allow it, this will change your mind. We're talking about living as children of God. We're talking about being part of his family. So this word here for life, in the Greek, it is literally, the verse verse literally reads this. um, Those who have been born in God's family don't make a practice of sinning because God's seed is in them. And that word seed is the Greek word sperma, and it means to sow. Seed, both what is sown as containing the germ of new fruit and what is growing out of the seed sown, produce. The sperma of God denotes the power of God operative through the Holy Spirit working in believers. So hang on a second. This is what he's saying. He's saying that those who have been born into God's family, when you give your life to Jesus, when you become a child of God, when you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you have become one of his children. And when you become one of his children, he puts his sperma, he puts his seed on the inside of you. And it says that you can't sin, not you won't sin. It means there is something inside of you producing life inside of you. Listen, in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of creation, in the creation account, the Lord is creating everything. And he says to be fruitful and multiply. And he says that every seed will reproduce after its own kind. And so, are you listening to me? And it says right here that he puts his seed inside of you. Are you getting this? God is putting his seed inside of you. When you become a child of God, he puts his seed inside of you. And his seed is producing his life, his likeness inside of you. And that's why it says you can't keep on sinning because you have his seed, his life, producing his fruit, producing his characteristics, producing his likeness on the very inside of you. I don't know if you still got that. When two people have sex, there is a seed that finds an egg. And that seed produces life and it begins to grow. And if you look around this room, we are all effects of that seed growing and producing life. Every person you look at is the the seed finding an egg and producing life and becoming 
after its own kind. There is, in your genetic makeup, is the genetic makeup of your parents combined together, producing a new person. And so when you get saved and become a child of God and you are moved into his kingdom and you become his, he puts his life, his very life, his very likeness, his very characteristics, his love, his wholeness, his freedom, he puts all that he is on the inside of you. And as that seed begins to grow, you should begin to look more and more like him. And so because you have his seed, his life on the inside of you, what John says is you can't sin because it pushes the darkness away. Now listen, here's the flip side of that coin. We know that Paul tells us that we've got a spirit and we've got the flesh and the two are going to fight each other all the time. But if you are a child of God and you are continually, like it said in verse 3, where you are, can you put the passion up again in verse 3 where it says this? Um, When you focus your hope on him, you will be purifying yourself. If you are continually living on God and you are continually purifying yourself and removing these things from you, the Galatians chapter 5 says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There has to be a choice where you are putting these things down, where you are allowing the life of God, where you are allowing God's seed to have his way in your life. Many of us who call ourselves children of God choose to put aside his life and his wholeness and his characteristics and say we want to live this way but we want to call ourselves children of God and what John is trying to get at and we're going to get into this in just a second what John is trying to get at is you can't call yourself a child of God and walk in sin let's look at this because I think you think I'm making that up so we're going to read it together he says those who've been born into God's family Do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So then he says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. How can we tell? We can tell by the fruit that is produced in their life. We can tell by their actions. We can tell by the way that they walk. We can tell by the way that they talk. We can tell by the things that they do, okay? So you can look at people's lives. I can look at Lena's life and I can tell if Lena is a child of God or a child of the world. I can look in my own life and see who I'm following because who you spend time with is who you become. And so you can look around at other people and they can say to you all day long, I'm a child of God, but you can look into their life and you can see if they really are or if they're just saying the words because their actions have to line up. This is so much fun. I'm having such a blast. We can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anybody who does not live righteously and anybody who does not love other believers or other brothers, the Greek says, does not belong to God. That's a real hard test. So if you are a child of God, the fruit that is present in your life that people should be able to look at Jesse's life and say, well, Jesse calls himself a child of God, so does Jesse live righteously? Is Jesse trying to walk a righteous life? When Jesse makes a mistake, is he quick to say, God, I made a mistake. I need to fix this up. I need to walk back in the way that you call me to walk. And, and does Jesse love other people? 
If Jesse loves other people and Jesse lives a life where he's trying to walk in righteousness, then he's a child of God and he belongs to the Lord. If you could look around and see somebody and that person just doesn't love anybody and they walk around doing all kinds of stuff that you know that nobody should do, saved or unsaved, you can say that person clearly does not belong to the Lord. Your actions will show who you belong to. Anybody who does not live righteously, doesn't love other believers, does not belong to God. Whew. I feel like that last one really gets us. You know, John talks a lot about love. Love is very important to John because God is love. And a lot of us work hard at living a righteous life, but we feel, uh, we feel like we can justify why we don't have to love everybody. We feel like we, there's reasons why uh, I, don't, I don't have to love that person. I don't have to. They're a terrible person. Nobody should love that person. Well, here's the thing. God loves everybody. And so something you should be praying for yourself often is God, give me your eyes to see that person the way that you see them. God, help me to love that person the way that you love them. Because honestly, Lord, in the flesh, that person just drives me crazy. That person drives me the wild person. I could be having the best day of my life, and when I see that person, when they just show up, something happens inside of me. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else have those people in their life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you got to say, Lord, Teach me to love. Teach me to walk in love. Teach me, God, I know that you love that person, so God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart for that person. Help me to love that person the way that you love them. Listen, God knows that you're not going to be perfect your whole life, and you're going to be working through things. But what he's after, like I said at the very beginning, is he's after people with their ears and their eyes turned towards him. They are taking him, they are including him in every area of their life. So as they go through life... And as they miss the mark, and as he points it out and says, you probably shouldn't have done that. They say, ah, you're right. I missed it. I'm so sorry. I want to be more like you. I am your child, and I want to reflect you. I want to be worthy of this name. I want to be worthy of my family name. I want to live up to the name that you have. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to continue to walk in what you've called me to walk in. Well, me and Enoch are having fun so far. We're almost done. Verse 11, we're almost done here. <clears throat> this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. You should love one another. You should love one another. Just say this with me. I love people. Nope, I didn't believe you. Let's say it again. I love people. I love people. I love people. I love people. You know, when I used to, when we, when me and my sister used to fight when we were younger, oh, it drove me crazy. We, me and my sister would fight. My sister, this was before my younger brother was born. So it was just me and my sister, and she's three and a half years older than me. And so if we ever got on each other's nerves and we were driving around, uh, my mom would make us say things like, I want you to say ten times, 
uh, uh, that you love your sister or thank God for my sister and be like, thank God for my sister. Thank, thank God for Maria. No, you need to say it like you mean it. Say it 10 times. Thank God for Maria. Thank God for Maria. Thank God for Maria. I love Maria. And if I didn't say it like I meant it, she kept making me say it over and over and over. Why? Because words have power. And let me tell you something. If you don't love people, maybe you need to walk around saying, I love people. I love people. And don't you say to me, you don't know my life. I shouldn't love people. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, you are called to love people. And if you don't love them, you got to work on it. And you got to walk around saying, I love people. I was hurt. I know. God wants to work on the hurt that you were dealt with. God wants to work on your wounds. Just like we just read about Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. He wants to work in you. But you got to let him work on you too. So I don't love people. Walk around just saying, I love people. I love people. I love people. Stand in front of that person and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Person's like, why are you saying you love me? Because I love you. We're, we're, we're almost done here. I love people. I love people. Here's the thing. Unless you go live by yourself somewhere in a hole, you are going to be surrounded by people the rest of your life on this planet. You got to love them. You got to love them. You got to love them. This is the message we heard from the beginning. We should love one another. I love how he says you should love them. He uses the word should because he knows so often people don't love the way they're supposed to love. So we should love one another. And then he begins talking about Cain and Abel. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Listen to me. When you are living a life and you are part of the family of God and you are walking in righteousness, there will be people around you that are convicted by the level of life that you are living. They are convicted by the righteousness that you walk in. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. And Cain killed Abel because of it. And so you're going to find people in your life because you are a child of God, living in righteousness, walking with Christ. You're going to find people that just don't like you. Tough cookies. Say, thank God for it and keep walking on. Look at them and say, I love you, man. Don't let them stop you. He says, they're not going to like you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Last two verses we're stopping at today. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. It's very interesting. If you pay attention, the wording that John uses here, most of us think of in terms of passing from life to death. You're born alive, your whole life is consumed with being alive, staying alive, keeping people around you alive. When you've got kids, it's your whole job to keep your kids alive, keep them safe. As you get older, you're still trying to stay alive. Your whole world is centered around being alive and then dying, right? But when John is talking, he says, if you love, if you love, if, notice the word if, if you love, it proves that you have moved from death into life. What is he talking about? He's not talking about 
physical death and life. He's talking about spiritual death and life. Because we are born into a fallen world. We are born spiritually dead. And what he's talking about here is when you are moved, when you give your life to Christ, you are moved from death to life. And he says, if you love, it proves that you have been moved from the kingdom of darkness. It proves that you were once dead. You moved over and became a child of God. Began walking and operating in love. And you moved from death to into life. And the great thing about moving from death to life is when you move from that spiritual state of death to life, you can never die again. Yes, your body may physically die, but your spirit will live forever. Oh, praise Jesus. Anybody who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. You've got to love people. This whole passage is talking about being a child of God, living your life as a child of the Lord. Basically, to do that, you are called to love other people. You have to walk in love. You have to not walk in sin. You can't straddle the line. You can't straddle the line of the world and Jesus. You can't have one foot over here and one foot over here. John said very plainly that if you have a foot over here, you're still living in the world. He says, if you're over here, you belong to the devil. You're not of God. He said, if you keep on sinning, he said, if you have God's life, if you have God's sperma, if you have God's seed on the inside of you, it, it produces his life, and you can't keep on sinning. You can't sin when God's life is in you. But so often, so many times, many of us try to have God's life in us and try to have the life of the world, for lack of a better term, on the inside of us as well. And the two cannot cohabitate. They cannot coexist together. There cannot be darkness and life. We've got to live a life where we are following Jesus. If we are his children, then we forsake the things of the world. Then we remove these things from our life, from our past. We don't drag them around with us. We move into him and we have our whole world, our whole life. Like we talked about last week, we are in constant fellowship with him if you're a child of the king. Stand up with me. This has been a real party, I know. Pastor Jen's preaching next week, and she'll have you all holding hands and wrapping arms around each other, and <clears throat> she'll probably have pies for everybody or something. I don't know, and this will just all be a distant memory. By next Sunday, this will all be a distant memory. A good message. But I really hope, honestly, that it's not a distant memory because, like I said at the very beginning, I believe that God is trying to get our attention, not just us in this room, our attention, but the body of Christ around the world's attention so that we truly are understanding that He is our Father and that He calls us His children. And as His children, we have a responsibility. We have a name to live up to. We have obligations You know, the kids born into the royal family, they had nothing to do with it. They were just born into the royal family. 
And as they were born into that royal family, and as they grow up, they have obligations and responsibilities thrust upon them because of the family, because of the connections. And we are the same. As children of God, as we move into His kingdom, there is a responsibility on Ashley. As a child of light, she is responsible to walk in love and to live righteously. So that those people who work with her, that see her live her life, that listen to her talk, that look at her, that look at her social media post, yes, people look at your social media post. And guess what? They judge you by your post. But that those people look at those things and they say, oh my gosh, there's something different about Ashley. I need to find out more about it. I need to find out what's going on inside of her. I need to find out who she's connected with. I need to find out who her family is because I want what Ashley has. She said somebody at work asked her what church she goes to. You should have people in your world that ask you those kind of questions, that are curious about what's different about you. I want you to close your eyes with me. I don't always do the same thing in both services, but I feel like today I want to. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And if as I was speaking, and as we were going to that passage, about being children of God and talking about not sinning and not walking in sin and not justifying the sins in our life. If that was poking you in the heart, if that was opening your eyes, if, if you have found yourself trying to justify sins and come up with reasons why the things that you do, even though they're contrary to the Word of God, are okay, and why you think it's okay for you to continue. If you hear yourself saying, yeah, but the Lord understands, He knows my heart. I just want to tell you today that maybe He's poking your heart. He wants to change some things inside of you. That He wants to bring you back into fullness, into alignment with Him, so that He can walk in your life in all the fullness that He desires. And if that's you, I want you to put your hand up because we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. We're going to go out of this place today, walking in the fullness of all that God has for us. Letting go of things of the past, not making excuses any longer for, for the things that we allow to continue, but walking fully as children of God in all that He has for us. Father, I thank You right now. You see these hands. You see these hands that are lifted up. And you see beyond the hands and you see the hearts. And Father, I thank you that as you were poking hearts and you were prodding, you were prodding us, that God, we are laying things down that are in our life that shouldn't be. Mindsets, thought lives, actions, desires, habits. God, that we are laying these things down, that we are removing them from our life because we are realizing that we are your children. And as your children, we have your very life, your seed on the inside of us, enabling us to walk in freedom, enabling us to walk in wholeness, enabling us to walk in real life, that we don't need these crutches any longer. 
And Father, we lay these crutches down today. We lay these excuses down today. We lay these chains down today. These chains that your son's blood destroyed, melted, and dissolved by his power on the cross. And we say boldly that we are your children and we step into all that you have for us today. That we will walk in freedom. That we will walk in wholeness. That we will walk in new life in you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for all you're doing and all that you continue to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, amen. You want to sing a song? Let's take a moment. Let's sing this together. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.